You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. How many of you have ever noticed uh, someone who must have had an off day or an off morning when they were getting ready? Now, it's, uh, you'll notice that for a man, it's, uh, you know, they missed a spot shaving. You know, it's like this clump of whiskers that are there that they just missed. Or, or for a woman, maybe it's uh, makeup that was applied too thickly in one spot, but not, just wasn't blended well. And <laughs> now typically, um, you see this more often than older people, um, not because we're getting senile, but because it's a function of eyesight, isn't it? I know about you, but as I get older, I, it's not even that I have to get closer I need the, the, the lenses to actually see it to help make sense. Um, so it's, it's a bifocal issue. So it, I, could get, you know, I could take my glasses off, I could get this close and still not be able to see it clearly. And so um, it's interesting because we see it so clearly and they have no clear what's going on. It's very similar to if you notice someone, if you've been talking to someone and notice they've got a piece of spinach or lettuce or their lunch in their teeth and... Uh, I mean, it's, and, and, and it's really distracting. You're trying to talk to them, but all you can do is just stare at or try not to look or whatever. But uh, um, they're completely unaware of, whatever, what, of something that is so obvious to everyone who is actually able to look at them. Now, as you may recall, we're in a series on parables of Jesus. And the topic of today's parable is, is forgiveness. And again, Ron and Carrie have given us a great uh, kind of a, a head start to that. Forgiveness is often like misapplied makeup. It's easy to see for someone else, not so easy to do ourselves. We know it in our head, we should do it, but when our emotions are involved, we sometimes lose the capacity to do what is best for us. Learning how to live with a willingness to forgive can often be more challenging than we would like it to be. Depending on the situation, it can seem unnatural and unfair to forgive someone and not hold them accountable for the wrong that they've committed. So the parable we're looking at today is out of Matthew chapter 18. Um, And uh, if you have your Bible or an uh, apparatus in front of you, you can follow along there, or you can follow along here on the screen. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord... How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. And instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed 
and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage and thank you for your word that speaks to us, Lord God, not from just 2,000 years ago, but Lord, it speaks to us today. So Lord, help us to hear maybe something new or different or maybe it's just something we need to hear again to remind us. But Father, whatever we need, we pray your spirit has freedom to speak to us uh, in whatever way he desires this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a few things to note about this passage. We can call it kind of forgiveness 101, um, if you want to look, think about it that way. Um, this parable is told in response to a question. Again, from Peter. Peter's kind of like the designated question asker among the disciples. Um, if you've been with me on any of our staff meetings, that's my role too. Um, Kate and Julie will shake their heads. Yeah, so I'm like, what does that mean? Um, yeah, so Peter, again, just asking questions. And he asks, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, the very way he asked that question, we can assume with a few things. One is Peter is already aware of the need to forgive. He's not asking, hey, should I forgive somebody? He's saying, should I forgive them up to seven times? So the need to forgive has already been well established in his own life. In fact, we know that earlier, Jesus has taught about this multiple times. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I mean, that's pretty big stuff. So this idea of needing to forgive has already been well established. It's interesting that Peter said seven times. We don't have any understanding of why seven. Why not five? Why not 12? What was, was there something significant about the number seven? Some speculate, well, it's kind of a spiritual number and, you know, kind of like the perfect, you know, so he got through the number. But we really don't know. There's no indication from Scripture. Here's the thing. Rabbis of the day, what was being taught, what Peter and the other disciples would have understood was that it was permissible and actually desirable that you would forgive someone up to three times. So three times, two times certainly, up to three times was considered to be the appropriate response or the appropriate number of times that you would forgive someone. <clears throat> so we can assume that in Peter's mind as he's coming to Jesus and he asks, you know, should I forgive him up to seven times? That in his mind, Peter was thinking he was being very generous. He's going above and beyond what would normally be expected about forgiveness. <clears throat> so really what he was saying then probably is, I know I need to forgive, but certainly seven times would be enough. This is as much a statement as a question that he's asking Jesus. And what we discover here is that Peter modeled a natural tendency that we see in all of us. And that's to perceive forgiveness as having boundaries. That there's a limit to how much we should forgive or need to forgive. Now, in response, Jesus ignores, really, um, he doesn't quantify forgiveness. And... um, 
he actually, in some of the translations, you actually heard, I don't know if it was, somebody actually said that there was, one of the translations we heard this morning actually says 77 times. Other translations say 70 times 7, which would be 490 times. Um, there's some inconsistencies into how we understand that particular word that's there, that number. Um, but here's the point. The number's irrelevant. Okay, the, the, the exact number is not that important. That's not the point. Jesus is actually being extravagant in his response. Um, and so what, he, what Jesus was saying is that where Peter was saying there's a limit to forgiveness, Jesus was saying that forgiveness is limitless. The need to forgive is limitless. Now, I find it immediately, I find it really interesting that in the story immediately preceding this one, Jesus says that we're to confront a brother if he's done something against us. If you're familiar with the earlier passage of Matthew 18. And Jesus actually says, but if, you're, if he sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And hopefully the relationship will be restored. So Jesus, in one sense, <clears throat> says, hey, if someone offends you or sins against you, go and confront them about it. Go and have that conversation and go and see if you can get it fixed. In this passage, we get a very different response. It's, no, we need to forgive someone when they've done something against us. <clears throat> so what's the difference? Why confront in one situation and forgive in the other? Um, well, at, as I thought about it and kind of reflected on the two, we noticed that there are some differences, some significant differences between the two. In the first story, um, g- repentance had not been offered. So when somebody sins against you, you know, go and confront them. They've not come to you and asked for forgiveness. They may not even be aware they've done it. So you've, in that case, you need to actually go and talk to them. And clearly in that earlier instance, the relationship had b- been broken. And also that the offending party is probably not even aware of what they had, the transgression. So the idea of going to them and, give, and informing them of, the, of their transgression gave opportunity for the healing of the relationship and potentially reconciliation. <clears throat> In this story, the offending party has asked for forgiveness. The offending party has come and said, I was wrong. I know I need to make things right. Please forgive me. That changes everything. That changes everything. And it's in this instance, Jesus is saying forgiveness is required. Forgiveness is not an option. Forgiveness is required. Through this parable, Jesus defines forgiveness as a principle of life for all who live within the kingdom. Now remember, most of these parables begin with something like the kingdom of heaven is like or the kingdom of God is like. What's implicitly being said here is that those who live in the kingdom of God behave this way. If you're in the kingdom of God, this is how you need to behave. <clears throat> so with this in mind, what are some takeaways from this parable? What are a number of applications I think can be observed in the behaviors of these individuals, I think can have some insight for us today as well. So I think the first observation for me um, is that the servant had a debt that was exponentially greater than he could ever begin to repay. Um, <clears throat> Uh, again, there's some different numbers that are used there depending on your translation. Um, I think what's used there originally is the word talent. A talent um, is what was owed. <clears throat> um, a talent is actually not a measure of, of value. It's a measure of weight. So, and it's about, um, it's about 130 pounds. And usually it's you know, gold or silver or some other precious metal. And a talent, the weight is what made it, what, um, 
it tells you how much it was. So about 130 pounds. And usually, when, in, the, in the New Testament, you usually talk about silver. Um, so in this case, he had 130 pounds of silver. Um, and that's, again, so it, it's referring to the weight, not so much the dollar amount. However, um, <clears throat> just as a sake of comparison, the historian Josephus, in some of his writings, and made note that in 4 BC, so right around the time of Christ, 600 talents of taxes were gathered in all the whole country, the whole region of Israel. So a yearly tax on a whole, a whole geographical region netted 600 talents, okay? And in this story, the guy owes him 10,000 talents. Um, so again, just a sense of proportion, what, what's happening here. So one talent is roughly to about 15 years worth of, of, of wages for a typical worker. One talent. One talent, 15 years of labor. So think about how much you make over a year. Multiply that times 15. That's one talent. This guy owed 10,000 talents. Okay? So basically he owed 150,000 years of income. So Jesus clearly is speaking in hyperbole. There's, there, it's a nonsensical number. If Jesus was talking today, he would have said, yeah, the servant owed his master a gazillion dollars. I mean, that, that's what he was saying. It was just, it was a nonsensical number, so big, we can't even wrap our brain around it. So, but that's, that's the point. It was just, it was, it was just too big to even comprehend. <clears throat> now, what's interesting to me as well is that we have no idea how the man came into debt. How does a person get into that kind of debt? And again, that's not the point of the story. So it's fun to kind of for me to think about, is it even possible to get him that much debt by one person? But the point is he was, and he owed his master that much money. Um, and it, the point was that he could never, ever repay it. Never would he be able to repay it. And so it is with us. What Jesus, again, the, the idea of a parable is that it's, it's taking a real-life situation <clears throat> and telling it in a way that gives us a deeper spiritual understanding. And what Jesus is telling us here in this setup, in this in part of this parable, is that we owe a debt to God that we can never repay. No matter if we had 150,000 years worth of our labor, it would never be sufficient to pay that. Even if we had a gazillion dollars we can never repay the debt that we owe God. <clears throat> so that's my uh, first observation I think we can get from this parable. The second one is that without payment of the debt, the servant was destined to live his life in bondage. Verse 25, it says, Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, <clears throat> we have laws against such practices this today. Aren't you glad that uh, that can't happen to us? But in those days, non-payment of debt could result in two different, th- two different uh, repercussions. One is that, is that you go to prison until your friends and family can raise enough mon- funds to, to pay the debt to get you out. Or... If, if that's not even possible, you and all you have can be sold into slavery. 
so they can take possession of you. So basically, if I think I can, you know, if, if Len owes me money and I think I can get it from him or the people around him, I can have him put in jail until it's paid back. If I think that Len will never be able to, or his family will have the recesses, I'll cut my losses and I'll just sell him for what I can get for him at the market. Uh, <laughs> those things happened in those days. That's how significant it was to be in debt to someone. You didn't want to be in debt to someone. <clears throat> and uh, from what I understand, the legal process wasn't that long or complicated. You owed it, you wouldn't pay, all right, off you go. Um, it, was, it was a pretty quick and easy. And that's why in the story, both things happened here. You know, he was put in jail until he could pay it back or he was going to be sold into slavery. We have both of those instances being demonstrated in this particular parable. Now, in our case, with this, initial, this first servant, because the debt was so large, there was no thought that this man could ever repay it. Never. And that's why the king and master, he was just going to cut his losses, sell him, his family, and all his possessions, and then just move on was what his action was going to be. <clears throat> and although the man said he would repay everything, there's no possible way that he ever could. It just, I mean, no one took him seriously. There's no way he could do it. And so it is with us. Until Jesus settled our debt, we were the ones facing lifelong bondage to the guilt and shame of our own sin. The result would have been removal from the kingdom and eternal separation from God without Jesus. <clears throat> A third observation might be this. The only way to be released from his debt was for the servant to plead for mercy. The servant fell on his knees before his master and he said, be patient with me, he said, and I will pay back everything. Notice what the servant asked for. He asked to not be put in prison and for more time to repay the debt. But what did he actually receive? Not only did his master not sell him into slavery, the master actually forgave him the entire debt. To not put him in prison, which is what he deserved, was an act of mercy. To forgive his debt went even further. That was an act of grace. And so it is with us. We were released from our debt when we acknowledged our dependence on God and his mercy and the payment provided through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. A fourth observation. The servant was the recipient of great compassion and forgiveness for a tremendous debt, yet he failed to extend the same for a much smaller debt. Now, as we learned two weeks ago in the parable of the workers in the vineyard, we, in, that, in that parable there was money involved, but a denarius. And we learned there that a denarii, or I'm sorry, <clears throat> a denarius was a payment for one day of work. So if you put in a full day, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., it's a 12-hour workday, one denarius was your standard wage. So when this man... <clears throat> We learn that he owed the second servant, owed the first servant, a hundred denarii. That's a hundred days worth of work, or 20 weeks, almost five months, almost five months of income, which is not an insignificant number. 
Okay, so it's not like he owed him a couple pennies. It was, it was, there was some substance to what his debt was, but it pales in comparison to what the first servant had already been forgiven. The contrast was just crazy between the two of them. Now, I also think it's interesting in this way that Jesus told this parable that the, the man encounters, the first servant encounters a fellow servant. Notice that the man he encounters not above him. He wasn't below him. He, they were on the same level socially. They were basically this, you know, peers, if you will. They were, he was just like him. And notice, did you notice that the, the plea of the second service was almost identical, word for word, the same as what the first servant had given the master? Be patient with me and I will pay you back. The only difference was that in the first servant, he added the word everything. Be patient with me and I will pay you back. So the contrast again here is very stark in that Jesus is saying, here's a guy on the same level who's just like you, using the same words you used with your master, but the response was completely different. Hearing his own words used in the same context didn't work for this servant. Not only did the first servant not have mercy on the second, he actually got physically violent with him. It says that he grabbed him and began to choke him. What a contrast in the situation, the story. And this is where the story flips. This is where up until this point, everyone's like, well, that's a really good story. At this point, the story flips and everyone goes, because this is, it's no longer about God's forgiveness of us. It's no longer about the the master and the servant and forgiving. But rather, it's because of the forgiveness, we are expected to forgive others. So he, may, he spends the first part of the story setting the extent of the, what God has done for us. The second part of it is, now go do likewise. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, again, this is not a one-time conversation about forgiveness. Jesus had been talking about forgiveness a lot in his in ministry. In Mark, we see, and what, Jesus was saying this, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So, real, I mean, realize it. Forgiveness is more important than prayer. Go do this first and then come back. If you want God to forgive you, you need to forgive them. Now, I love this one too. In Matthew, earlier in, chap, in Matthew chapter five, Jesus says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there on front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with them, then come and offer your gift. So you're there in the middle. Again, you're in a, a worship service. You're in a, the worship experience. They're, they're making an offering for the Lord. And oh, wait a minute. I remembered I had this argument you know, with Lisa last week and I need to go. So before I even give my gift, before I can even finish what I'm doing, I need to actually go and make things right with the other person. To live with unforgiveness is to defy the way of life within the kingdom of God. Because we have been forgiven much, we should forgive others in the same proportion. Luke tells us, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Lastly, the servant 
forfeited his freedom. He was sentenced to a life of imprisonment and torture because he was of his unwillingness to forgive in the same way he had been forgiven. Because of his inability to forgive, the first servant had his debt reinstated and he was put into prison to be tortured until he could repay it, which meant forever. And there was no payment, repayment of that size of a debt. <clears throat> when we choose not to forgive, the personal punishment we inflict on ourselves is greater than the punishment we want to inflict on, the other, on our offender. Let me, let me say that again. When we choose not to forgive, the personal punishment we inflict on ourselves is greater than the punishment we want to inflict on our offender. I, um, <clears throat> I, I have a um, breakfast this week with uh, uh, David. Um, and uh, David, wave. I'm going to embarrass him right there. Okay. So David, I don't know if you haven't had a chance to meet David or talk to him. Fascinating story, what God has been doing in his life. And uh, really encourage you to make that connection with him. But we were talking about, he asked me, what's the parable going to be about this week? And so I, uh, um, we were talking about it. He made this statement that I've written down, and I'll, I'll keep it with me forever. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. How graphic is that? That's a perfect analogy. I'm drinking it, but I want you to die. It just doesn't work that way. Strangely, what's, what's really interesting is that we know we're supposed to forgive others. I mean, you don't even have to be a Christ follower. You don't even have to have a sin. Just within our culture, we know that forgiveness is something we should be doing. Clearly, biblically, spiritually, if you've been in church for any length of time, you're going to know that. And the last sentence in this parable should give all of us chills. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus isn't messing around. But again, even outside of the church, even outside of our faith, we know that the mental and the emotional devastation unforgiveness and bitterness can have on a person. The medical community will tell us that. We know just the, the physical effect that can have on us when we don't forgive. So we know that. I, that that's just, I think that's just something that all of us can grasp and understand. We know that we're supposed to, to forgive. <clears throat> And yet, over the years, my observation has been that forgiving others can sometimes be like having our makeup applied disproportionately. We can see it so clearly in others, but we have a hard time fixing it for ourselves. So why is forgiveness so hard? A few things, again, as I think about it and, and some of my readings, what I've heard others say, <clears throat> one is because of the depth of the emotion the offense creates within us. The depth, I mean, it goes deep, 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 deep into our soul, the offense that's been happening. I think another reason why it's hard to forgive is because we want justice. We do. We want them to pay somehow for the pain that they've caused us. We want to inflict them. I think it's also hard to forgive because we equate forgiveness with letting them off the hook. Here's what we need to remember about forgiveness. <clears throat> forgiveness is not reconciliation. Just because I forgive you doesn't mean we're friends. Doesn't mean we're okay. Doesn't mean that everything is back to the way it used to be. It doesn't. That the relationship has been broken. It's going to take time to rebuild it if it's ever possible to be rebuilt. 
Forgiveness is not restoration of trust. Just because I forgive you doesn't mean I trust you. Forgiveness does not make things all better. I love one of my uh, professors um, in one of his books on, on forgiveness, actually. He said, yeah, one of the couple of quotes, one of them is, forgiving does not erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. We change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. See, I've learned that to forgive another is to make the intentional choice to be free from what hurt you. It's choosing healing instead of bitterness, freedom in lieu of revenge, because we cannot live one more day in bondage to the choices of someone else. Forgiving isn't the justification of someone else's actions. It's the release of the consequences of that act. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for this parable. Um, Lord, it's, it's one that uh, for some of us, it, uh, um, it's, just a, it's a good reminder of things that we need to be attentive to possibly in the days ahead. Who knows what offenses might come our way. For some of us, this parable brings up some huge, huge memories. Things that uh, may have resurfaced because of uh, just remembering. <clears throat> and uh, God, I know that you can heal the hurt. I know that you can heal the pain. Father, it all begins, though, with us being able to forgive. My prayer, Lord, this morning is that if there's any here who have heard this parable and recognize in their own heart that they're still holding on to that, whether it's anger, the bitterness, it's the need for revenge. If they're still holding on to that, Lord God, I pray that your spirit would would just make that evident that they would be conscious of that. And Lord, that they would determine here, right now, in this moment, to forgive. Lord, forgiving doesn't release the offending party from their actions. It releases us from the burden of carrying that weight of that offense. Lord, we don't need that. Life has enough of its challenges. We don't need this extra bondage and baggage. So Lord, help us. God, give us strength. Give us the capacity to to separate, Lord, the emotion of the moment, of the situation, of the circumstance with the actions that we need to take. And Lord, even though our actions may not measure up to the emotions, in other words, Lord, even though we may do something when we don't feel like it, Lord, I pray that over time that those emotions would follow, that indeed we would begin to release the emotions of that hurt and pain. That it's not just mind over matter, but Lord God, that you in your spirit, in your strength, in your power, in your love and mercy would bring healing. Healing. You would restore us, Lord God, I pray. Father, without you, we really have no hope. We're just we're, at, we're victims of whatever comes our way. 
But Father, because of you, because you have loved us, Lord, we are the recipients of mercy and grace we don't deserve. Lord, may we then reciprocate with those around us. Father, may this body, may this community of faith, Lord, may us, the people of Grace Covenant, Statesville, may we be known as a people who are able and willing to forgive. Not because it's easy, but because we know it's right. We know it's because you've loved us first and because we are part of your kingdom. And we know that because relationships are healed, we can be at one with another and one with you know then that you do hear our prayers. So God, thank you for all these things. Thank you for all that you're doing in our body. We continue to trust you in every area and bless you, Lord God, for what you're doing and what you will do in the days ahead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org. 